Hello, everybody. TJ Schwartz here. Welcome back to the Edge and Flow podcast. I'm here with Lucas Burnley. I wanted to ask you about how your week's gone because you've got an energy about you that I'm liking. <laughs> uh, an energy, and I was a half hour late for the pod because I've been in uh, like a vortex. What kind and of you vortex? Had to call me and and ask me where I was. <laughs> so, um, in yeah, a flow holy- state vortex. Yeah, flow state, flow state vortex, I think like super weird. Um, so like as I keep learning about ADHD um, and <clears throat> seeing how maybe I had tendencies my whole life that I didn't really like know what they were stemming from or like how to interact with them. I've been like going down this rabbit hole of just kind of like learning and researching and and trying to like figure out solutions. And so uh, one of the big ones is is like hyper-focus, um, which I've always done my whole life. Like I get super interested in a hobby, pour everything into that for six months, and then we'll like completely drop it. Um, rinse and repeat for 40 years. Um, so super interesting for me, uh, last week, maybe like over the weekend or I guess the weekend, um, man, I felt this like twitch to start sketching. Um, and I haven't been sketching, uh, very much at all. And it was literally the only thing I could basically do for three days. Um, so cool. Yeah. Cool in one way and like super frustrating in the other way. But the, the work around here is that I realize when I hyper-focus around work, that is where like a lot of my creative output comes from. And over the past few years, I've actually really been trying to like stomp that down and be like, okay, I'm going to like do, I have, I'm like have all these other functional tasks I need to do. So I'm not going to let just this like one thought spiral out. Like you want to structure it more is what you're saying. Trying to structure Mm -hmm. it, which has not worked. So what Maddie and I have been basically talking about is figuring out how to like, sometimes when those, those hit just to let them run. And that's what we did. I lean that direction. Yeah. It's hard though. There's times where that muse runs across in front of you and you just gotta, you just gotta chase it. And it's, it just, there's obviously, you know, nuance to that, of course, but when it really grips you, like, like you said, that's when some of the most productive things from a creative person come. You know? Seriously. And it is, it is the, it's the muse, right? <clears throat> so you can't always bring it in when you want it to be there. And if you don't attend to it when it's there, like a lot of times, like I'm not my best functionally in the shop anyway, if I'm, my brain's like not in it. Um, so I was definitely not like productive or like organizational. Um, which I think we've talked about that. Like in my early twenties, I had like figured out that I had like these kind of three phases where it was like, like creative, productive, or organizational, right? Organizational is just what it sounds like. You're like cleaning the shop, you're, you're sweeping. Um, and your brain is like set to that level of work. Mm -hmm. The productive again, speaks for itself kind of like that's when I could sit at a bandsaw for 10 hours and just be like completely content. And then you have like this creative side. Now I'm learning. I think I'm learning like different components of that. Like there, like you said, nuance in it. Um, what was fun about this was when I sat down, I told myself that I wasn't going to solve any problems. So the goal was actually to not take any concept through the design process. All it was, was bouncing between like three minute sketches for like two and a half days. Nice. That kind of wrapped itself up. Like I felt like, Hey, okay, this is like, I feel like this is like closing. And it popped into CAD. And I called you a little while ago because I basically had this moment, like an aha moment, 
where I had taken a sketch and like fully modeled it in fusion and it blew my mind. And it, it looks really nice. I got to tell you, like, and I'm not, I'm not just saying that, like the way that you were, cause we talked a couple times this week and I kind of could sense that you had this drive, like you just, something captivated you about this mm-hmm. knife and maybe not the knife itself, but the process. Right. And, uh, the product is very representative of the process. <laughs> I got to tell you that it looks good. Thanks, man. It is. It's a trip though. I remember like when I was learning to read as a little kid, like having this moment with phonics where the words start, like I stopped seeing letters and started seeing words. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like in fusion over the last, like I've been in there for probably two days and I had some examples of the work that you and I had done together to like go in and like try to understand. I had a bunch of memento esque notes like with all these like rules and like, you know, highlighted sections still incredibly hard. Like when you're trying to piece it together on something fresh, but I just worked, I tried to kind of basically do what we discussed, uh, you know, in the podcast last week, like going over your process. I'm like, okay, like I just need to make logical decisions about like what the constraints do and what they're related to. And about like eight hours in, I started experiencing like the power of the constraints by, I would make a change and it would like update everything in the drawing. Sketch constraints. Yeah. Specifically Mm -hmm. with sketch constraints. Right. Mm -hmm. But like building a feature constraining that in a way so that when I adjust my base sketch, like it's adjusting like the solid model down the road and not like Mm self-destructing. And it started to like click faster. I worked until like one 30 in the morning last night. And it, it's crazy because it's, there was big periods where I was just kind of cruising. And then the last steps of like modeling the blade grind that's been 14 hours mm-hmm. yeah it just took it just took me time to understand like the 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 process and then to like actually see it at the end just been amazing yeah i'm, I'm so <laughs> i'm happy to hear it man the, <laughs> let the cad flow through you man it's it's there's 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 cat haters out there and I can respect that. I can understand where that comes from, but it, like you said, it's easy to look at CAD and think it's like a crutch or it's going to like somehow narrow your field of view from a creative t- standpoint. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to make knives like a machinist. I think that's only, like the old fear. That's only temporarily until you start to see the letters as words as yep. per your metaphor is like, yep. if you're only looking at the letters, you're going to write like a robot. Yeah. But when they look like words, you're going to write like Shakespeare, hopefully. Well, and that's that was one of the cool things in this process was where I took I like forced myself to do the work in CAD. A lot of times, like my sketches are basically what I want. Right. Mm -hmm. This is a fixed blade, which made it easier, theoretically, that I could have like fully drawn it basically the way that I wanted and then just like modeled it kind of a little if I was doing it in Rhino old school, it would have been, I would have just done 2d line work and that's where I would have generated my tool pass off this one. I wanted to force myself to actually do the design work in the software. And with this experience specifically, I'm seeing a different level of like creativity that is possible. It's not that I can't draw it, it's this version of like quick iter like rapid iteration viewing it as a solid model mm-hmm. it's different and it's it's hard to believe but it sounds counterintuitive but you, you're right in that like it seems like sketching is the most quick iterative way to yeah. design but if if you get to where you have like we talked about in the cat episode a couple of weeks back if you get to where you have the design at least roughed in Yep. The actual tweaks and changes and modifications 
you're way faster in CAD than you are on paper, at least for me. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, that needs to be a little longer. Takes two seconds, a little longer. Yeah. A little skinnier, a little skinnier. You know, it's like the once you get to the refinement stage, the speed with which you iterate. And like you were sending me how you were laser cutting profiles and stuff. It's like you just couldn't iterate that fast if you were like cutting it out of acrylic with like a bandsaw, you know, you just couldn't I mean, it's like it's fast, right? Like it's super. Okay, I take my piece of paper. I cut it out. I like spray adhesive it onto a piece of plexi. I go to the bandsaw. It might be 10 minutes. But it's not 10 minutes if I'm running it on the laser Mm -hmm. and I can cut two examples at the same time. And like, so basically the, just doing form tests, like once I started to get into where I liked the knife, then it was, I spent the majority of the time in fusion was actually doing the design work, just minor tweaks of the profile. Right. Mm -hmm. After that point, then it was like starting to add the detail work, you know, like adding jimping and like adding chamfers. But even that started to make more sense because I saw like the progression of sketches. So like, okay, I have my base profile sketch. Like once that's like dialed in and locked down, then I can like start to add the other features. And in the past, I've kind of like, especially working in Rhino, like I kind of just go in and start drawing and I have like too much information in too short of a timeline all tied to like one sketch, you know, Mm -hmm. or, or layer or whatever. Um, so this man, it feels like a full paradigm shift. I'm happy to hear it. Now I just need muscle memory. I, Mm -hmm. I think like if I do, I think if I can do like three more fixed blades, increasing level of like components and complexity, I think that I'll have like, I'll be able to get through the process like pretty consistently for sure. Um, I had asked you like next week, you're going to come in and basically kind of diagnose like what I did, like do post action on mm-hmm. what I did. Cause I know I made mistakes and there were areas where like, it's like, I know this isn't the right way of doing it, but I'm like getting the desired result. Um, but I feel like, I feel like they're pretty minor. Like I think mm-hmm. I'm, I think I'm not like 90% correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had mentioned before how we had jumped on zoom a few times and we'd talked about fusion and shown you a few things. So it is one of those things. Cause I remember us doing that. And it's one of those things, like you said, spending 14 hours on the bevel, it kind of like, you just kind of have to grind into it and just yeah. kind of, and it seems like it's clicking. I bet a bunch of the stuff we talked about, is probably resurfacing and Dude. it's like, Oh, that's why this breaks or whatever. I know it's there. Like mm-hmm. it was, I was remembering things as we were going where I'd be like, okay, no, no, like that's not the way to do this. Like I need to define this, like, oh, there needs to be like this offset. I'm like, this is like a year ago, but it's still like rattling mm-hmm. around in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Super, super, super interesting. Both from the standpoint of like the work that I did for myself the fact that I now have a new model that I'm really excited about and that I was able to actually just let the deep, like deep work happen. Like I just keep realizing like I'm not good at multitasking. I've tried so hard to kind of like be everywhere all at once. Like there's times when you need to do it, but goal right now is just like, let, let that like hyper focus go. Mm-hmm much easier if it's like centered around things in work, but like it's the same thing. Like if I get, if I get bit by forging and that's two yeah. weeks, like it really doesn't matter because it's still fight work. It. Yeah. I, can't, I don't think I should fight it. I exactly. can, yeah. but I think that you get, you get a less than ideal outcome on whatever you are like replacing it with. And I think it, it, it just like creates like an itchiness that I'm not like interested in. Oh, so I know exactly what you mean. Yeah rolling hyper focus. That's good. I'm excited. I'm wound up. No, I, that's why, (laughs) that's why I launched this talking about your energy, the vibes I'm getting here. Awesome. Like it just felt like a a, a design exploration week that I only talked to a couple times, but I could just sense that you were, you were, you're going. It's, it's wild how, how it works. Like, I mean, no concept really of time 
not hungry have to be like called and told to do things or reminded mm-hmm. and if forcing myself to like stop at the end of the day. That's a good feeling. So, it's pretty good. I mean, it's, 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 it can be taken to an absurdity, but yeah, when you really get absorbed like that and for me and you both design work that we do, that's, there's nothing better. Cause you know, when you have that feeling where it's like, you've been at it for 10 hours and yeah. you feel like you just started, like you feel the time just flew by. There's really no better feeling. Like it just feels like your, your work is better than it could possibly be in those moments. Yeah. It's, it's been so long since I've actually felt that, like since we've been in bend, I haven't designed a new folder that I've actually made, which, you know, like I'm not like crazy, don't have, never have crazy output, but it's usually one or two folders a year. Mm. So the fusion component in a way I think has been like, I've known that I want to go there, but it's, it was so daunting that like, I'm like, well, I can design it in Rhino, but I don't want to design it in Rhino and I can, I can muscle through it in fusion, but I don't really have the time. And so it just was like limbo. Mm -hmm. Now I think like I'll do one more, one or two more fixed blades. I've already got a folder project started in fusion. And I think just going, it's just understanding the modeling environment. I think that it's, it's almost the same as like when I would tell people that we're just starting to build folders coming from fixed blades. It's like everything is the same except for like three components. Like you have a stop pin, a lock and a pivot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, like it's just a knife. Mm-hmm. So I kind of feel like in the cat environment, I can wrap my head around that being the same way. Like if I understand the physical like process of modeling. Yeah. Yeah. So. And coming from Rhino, like it similar deal. It's like yeah. you're you're going from 2D to 3D. And so it's like yeah. there is some institutional knowledge you've got around CAD. Yeah. It's just adapting it. And bad and bad habits, because I never really like learn you're so precise in the way that you work. And I never had that. So it's like I just kind of, you know, it's like I get there, but like I was never the ability for fusion to actually you update one sketch and it updates your cam. Like that is mind blowing. I've spent so much time going back and forth from Rhino to, you know, my cam software just because I wanted to tweak a line. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And it, like an example of that paying off for me was like, I, I have my Kydex molded and then it's CNC machined and it drills the holes for the clip position. Mm-hmm. And I, every Kydex isn't as rigid and perfect as like machining a block of aluminum. So like in CAD, you would think that these holes being drilled would be in the exact right spot because I, I don't know if it's like Kydex shrinkage or mm-hmm. something, Some but it's, flex. it's not always exactly in the right spot and it seems to consistently be in the wrong spot. So hmm. I would just change locations and like walk it in. And it was like in the, in the CAD design sphere is where I'm making these changes and right. it's walking in on the machine running. And it's like, I'm, I'm not even going into the cam other than just to post the code. Like the cam yeah. is just the same. And it's just, yeah, I can move those holes around without any issue, really. It's too good. It's really handy. There's just, there's a lot of freedom in it. Um, yeah. So yeah, there you go. Uh, I It's really nice. I'm 3D printing the knife now um, in two halves. And I'm going to glue it together because I want to see it like everything modeled. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm going to set it aside. Because I would be able to spend probably like the whole rest of the week just like messing with the super minor details. And I would rather just let this be like, okay, this is version one, Mm -hmm. which is actually, I think, version 28. And then go sit down with you next week, go through it, dial in the process, and then just like start over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm excited to be done for a little while. Yeah. Good. Good. Let's, uh, let's talk about your downshift. Yeah, it's good. I so, didn't hear from you at all. No, no. Yeah. Well, I, I sent you a couple of pictures, but I oh, that's didn't right, talk yeah. about it, but photos. Yep. Yeah. I, w- I did go to the Warhawk air museum. It actually was more than I was expecting as far really? as it's a, it's a historical museum about war aircrafts and it's in Nampa, Idaho. And it's like, it's not really known to, I mean, I just. I'd heard about the place and I'd seen like maybe a picture or two, but 
I was thinking maybe they've got like one or two obscure old planes that are maybe operational, maybe not like maybe a small showcase, you know, Mm -hmm. alongside those. It's substantial. Like it's a legit destination. I mean, anybody coming through Boise should probably go to this place. And it's, they have like probably 10 or more operational war era aircrafts from different eras that are fully like they look brand new i mean they have world war ii airplanes they have cold war airplanes they have world war one airframes they have vietnam they had a huey helicopter mint condition sitting in there they had i mean like two large like warehouse size rooms full of airplanes and they would have like a corner of the room that was like the vietnam war and they would have like a fighter plane the huey and two perfectly restored like 1960s station wagons and in between them so it was like like showing life it was like the the image of like the late 60s vietnam era and so yeah and then they had all these glass cases where it was like veterans or veterans families from these different eras would donate their family's heirlooms and like and like if they had a, a husband or a dad or something that was fighting in this conflict they would put their your whole uniform in the glass with like all their pictures and like all their kind of memorabilia and some really personal stuff. Like it might be like a pack of cigarettes from like World War II or like something that they carried with them all the time. And so it's like there's and then there's like a bio. And so it's like these different eras with these different soldiers and like these different uh, airplanes. And they had a right in the middle of one of the rooms, they had a f- actual like functional MiG fighter jet from like like a MiG-21, which is a Crazy. Russian. Yeah a Russian like state of the art aircraft from the cold war. And it was like the, you know, every other country in the world was lusting after this airplane in the cold right. war. And it's like, they have one sitting there and it's not like it's, there's nothing fake about any of it. It's like, that's a real, like they could actually fly this thing because apparently they do air shows where they take all these planes and they wheel them out and they fly them. Um, wow. And so like the, the P 51 Mustang is sitting there, which is America's sort of like preeminent, world war ii fighter at the end of the end of the war and it's got literal oil pans underneath it like catching oil drips from the engine and like from the from the airframe because it's like it's a real plane i mean it's not faked up i mean they could like right. roll it out and fly mustang away. is like the is the classic yeah and it's like the sexiest design ever yeah so cool dude and the, that airplane like you could it's like the wing is like over your head like you're pretty much under it and it's like yeah. roped off but inside the ropes there's like it's like all the gear from world war ii soldiers like laid out around it in like kind of a circle and you're looking at it from like a few feet away did you get any backstory as to like is this like someone's private collection like turned museum is the like what is it i need to ask more questions about it uh i've got my brother-in-law is like really into aviation and i he he loves this museum i haven't asked him much about it but he would probably know but I, I did read a couple little plaques and stuff. They there were definitely it was a private entity, like a, mm-hmm. a probably some wealthy couple or something that that was really into aircrafts, and maybe bought a couple of these planes. And then there's like a whole board of like donations of people yeah. that have donated, and some of the money. I mean, there's a whole board of people that have donated more than 200k. So it's like millions of donations to make this happen. So it's a totally private thing. But, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to know more backstory if you find out. That's mm-hmm. always interesting to me, like where interest is sparked enough and you're like, okay, like we maybe like we have some disposable income. I'm super interested in like this airplane. I can buy the plane or I could start like a nonprofit yeah. and we could do air shows with the plane. Like I always yeah. wonder like where the, where the drive is. Yeah. I'd love to, to hear more about that. Did you, sure. didn't you say there's like a cafe there? It's not in the museum. It's like a stone's throw from it. Oh really? Okay. And it's a cafe that's in an old air tower, like a retired nice. air tower. Oh, like up. Yeah. Yeah. Like three stories up with windows, like panoramic, like the angled windows that you see Dude. that are kind of like looking down. That's and, fun. Yeah. And it's a, like a breakfast joint up there. And that's where you can sit and at that cafe when they're f- taking these planes off because you're about 200 feet from the runway. And oh, wow. uh, I was told that this summer, every summer they do this show and I'm, I definitely want to check that out. But dude, um, yeah, it was so cool. Like it surprised me in every way. Like the, the amount of hardware they had in there was shocking. And they also had like 
they had enough diversity going on in there that it wasn't like totally just like rah rah America. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm totally down for, you know, I'm an American and stuff. It's cool. But like, they had like some of those cases were just like full Nazi uniforms mm-hmm. and like full Russian uniforms. And like, right. it was like a true, like, this is just, just war Actual history in general. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I love it that. It was cool. Nice. How long were you there? Uh, at least an hour, but I didn't really even look at the time. I mean, more than that, probably. Um, nice. But yeah, walked up and down through everything and whatnot. And then I then I left and I wasn't sure where I was going to go because I couldn't walk from there. I mean, it's at the airport, so there's not really anywhere to go. Um, so I drove. Um, I went down Eagle Road, which if anyone knows in Boise, is like, it's the busiest road in Idaho or the busiest area, basically. And uh, I just kind of checked out a shop or two. I didn't really see anything that caught my eye, but I just got to thinking about a lot of things and I decided just to keep driving and there's a big loop I can make to get back to where I live. And I came in on the freeway and I went out the back way and then I just drove on this. There's a dirt road halfway back on this back way that I'd never gone up that I'd always wanted to drove up that. So it kind of, it went from the museum more or less into going back to the outdoors. Cause like mm-hmm. really that's what mostly I enjoy on a day like this. And so I ended up driving until I hit snow and turned around and then uh, got some lunch and all that. And it was just, it was really good. But the, I know we like beat on it, but like the, the, the process is a product thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was thinking a lot about that because like when I went through that museum, I was thinking a lot about like America's role in World War II and how like the process is the product might be the phrase to describe like America's how, what we contributed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I was like connecting that it like historically and stuff and like also poking holes in it. Like why, why is that not true and stuff? And like, I was just kind of like diving into that, just driving. It was, it was cool. Dude, that's great. Any, any like different, I don't know, different like takeaways or like, well, just in general, the like big, as you, now you've got two days, you knew what you were going into this time. You're like, all right, like <clears throat> you knew what you did the first time you went right back to driving though. Yeah. So that means that like probably right now, this is what you need. Yeah. Honestly, I think the thing about driving for me is when I drive, I'm not able to focus on anything because you have to drive. I'm not able to like look at my phone. I'm not able to read a book. I, you could listen to a podcast, but it's like it forces me to think and airplanes do the same thing to me. It's like if I'm sitting on a commercial airline, like I just start thinking mm-hmm. and it's like, it feels like I never have time to think about stuff. That's a little bit more abstract. It's like, I'm always thinking about, you know, the kids or, you know, making sure these knives are looking good, you know, sharpening, like it's very compartmentalized. But yep. when I drive is probably when I think the most like introspectively. Yeah. And so it's like, driving is just a license to do that and so it, yeah. that that's where i, I just kind of tend to to get i get in the car and, and you're then, just like pulling off any guardrails yeah basically you're it's just like all right your brain's gonna move on its own mm-hmm. but there's nothing yeah. like you don't have any direction no interference to really worry about yeah, yeah no interference that's a great way to put it yeah yeah so it yeah i just I thought a lot about that kind of stuff and just generally about it was, I mean, I was thinking about work a lot, but not in the sense of like, okay, what knife am I going to build? How am I going to fix this process or whatever? Mm-hmm. It was more like macro, just kind of philosophical, like thinking about what am I trying to do and stuff. And it was, it was productive. It felt really good. Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah. So Two down. I already decided what I'm doing on the next one. Let's hear it. I, uh, I have like a very nostalgic feel when I think about Boise state because I was there for two years and that was like when oh. my knife career kicked off. And I used to love sitting in the sauna. Like the sauna is like my happy place. And I haven't sat in a sauna in like five years because there's just no access around here. Uh-huh. And I was like, you can go to, to the campus and just pay like a day rate and like Dude, use their, their rec center. I'm like, I'm going to go back to the sauna where I used to sit and think about knives when I was 18 years old full circle and just like walk around campus and like, kind of like go on that nostalgia trip, maybe go to like a bar or restaurant from college. Like, Oh, I love it. That's what I'm going to do. That's like right up my alley. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. I love sauna too. It's amazing. 
I want to build one. I really want to build one. Dude, they're actually like not to go off a crazy tangent, but like there's a bunch of companies that that have them like pretty nice and like small and inexpensive. Mm. Like borderline, like, yeah, you could build one cheaper, but like, can you build one cheaper than you can build the knives you need to like pay for a sauna? Mm. Dude, sauna. Yeah. I got a spot picked out in my yard for one. Yeah. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Just a bunch of cedar planks, man. Yeah. Nothing too crazy. Did you go around? I would, like I would really want to. Yeah. If I had the right like <laughs> place to put it. Yeah. I had, a, I had a buddy in high school who he was a big time wrestler and they use saunas for like weight for dropping weight, you know, dehydrating Dude. themselves essentially. And they built one cause his dad was like a big wrestler. Like the whole family's wrestlers. So they built a sauna with a, a wood stove and they just, I would always, that was like my first introduction to saunas. And I didn't wrestle, but like when I was at his house, we'd use it. It's, it's like just one more thing to make you slow down. Oh it's yeah. Like, just sit here. And sweat. And uh, this like, isn't like a, can't do anything else. A health and well-being <laughs> podcast, but I, I do think I I tend to believe the things I read about the sauna, which is like it's really really good for you in a lot of yeah. ways. I'm not qualified to speak on that, but Dude, I think yeah. it is good for you. Yeah, you feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not medical. Seems advice. like there's a lot. Seems like there is a lot of data, but I don't know how to Dude. read data. I'm yeah. just a knife maker. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, let's see. What else? Okay, so. Those are two big ones. You've got, uh, you're still in the process of having your employee. Yeah. So he's, he's gone for this week cause okay. he's at a training for his Serico. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I do feel how the productivity dropped when he left. Like I, I had like a visceral reaction, like, wow, this is slower. Noticed. Um, yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, it'll be good to have, like I said, he's not like a full timer, but it'll be good to have him around again. Um, so yeah, this coming week, I'm, yeah, he's going to be back on Kydex. I actually, I made some, some big leaps in, in my Kydex game because I, I was doing more hand sanding than I was happy with, like not with a grinder. I mean, literally like by hand, mm-hmm. um, to try to just touch up certain things. And I've been meaning to get a flap disc that's scotch bright oh, yeah, for like a great. bench grinder, which is how mm-hmm. like most holster shops do it. And I tried scotch bright as a belt on a belt sander does not work as well. doesn't work mm-hmm. hardly at all. Um, and so I finally got my bench grinder set up and I tried that and holy Did cow. Did I see you with it wedged in your drill press? <laughs> That's right, dude. Heathen. Yeah. So we <laughs> talked about me getting rid of the drill press because I was nope. like, I need to put the bench grinder there and I don't have anywhere else to put it. And so I put the bench grinder on the table of the drill press and it works. I good. thought that was pointed directly at me. Because I've always said the drill was one of the most critical tools. Got to stay. Like, so, here you go. Yep. Here's my new bench. Yep. <laughs> it works. It works perfectly. I mean, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Those flap discs are awesome. Um, super uniform. They don't remove too much material. Mm-hmm. Just like helps blend. Yeah. It's actually something I would like both on the Kydex side and on leather side is I would love to see some high functioning holster shops. Kydex I've seen a little bit. It's always been interesting to me because when you look at knife sheaths, they're usually not actually made like holsters and holsters, like a nice holster, the, the, the quality and like the fit, like the wet molding, like there's so many things that they do that are so nice. I always just feel like knives should basically be sheathed like a holster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something I want to, when I do have more space, there's like half a dozen things with the Kydex I want to do. Um, like I want to go to vacuum instead of foam. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's for sure faster. And then also I think it gets more definition. Gets more definition. I think, is it faster? I I would say definition more important than speed. So the, the only thing that I think makes it faster is if you press a Kydex, uh, like form in, in between two pieces of foam. You're, yeah, insulating you're insulating it. And so yeah. it's just taking longer to cool down. And yeah. Whereas right, if you're in a vacuum bag. Yeah, it's just a thin uh, film. And it, it, especially if you had like cool air, like a fan blown across it, like that mm-hmm. would cool probably. Ma- so you have, you would have, yeah, faster. you just have to be super dialed because you don't have a lot of working time. There's no like adjustment. Yeah. And then certain types of sheaths, it really wouldn't work for probably as well, like foldovers. Yeah, foldovers like would be a problem. Foldovers anyway. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's right now the the 
thing that sets my pace on Kydex is the cooldown because I can make a sheath faster than it can cool down. Yeah. And so I that I either run two presses to make that all work, like two foam presses at once, or I go to vacuum. Uh, two foam presses is probably going to work good for a while. Yeah. Um, Just but, alternate man, back yeah. and forth. Yeah. That's like Tom Crying. He's, I mean, he's super fast. Yeah. And it's like he'll set up like a few presses. He likes to set them on, I think he puts them on stools. Nice. So that they're like fast and kind of move around. But I need to like, do something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. The foam press, like, is, I've just gotten fast enough. And that's where I'm, I'm wanting my, like, I'm getting my employee trained up on Kydex. And right now it's not pressing because if he's doing the Kydex, he's not, he's only made like a handful. So he's not mm-hmm. fast enough to where, expanding the actual foam the amount of sheaths it wouldn't help us right now if he's doing them Mm -hmm. but he'll get faster obviously and then he'll eventually get to the point where yeah i'll probably have to run two processes like that are actually an area i think that like crossover between like you're making your kydex in a very modern way Mm -hmm. but the guys who did a lot of kydex manually like some of their tricks, I feel like like the like product manual production side and automated production side. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of learning that can go back and forth for sure. Um, just because if you're running, like if you're not running automation and you're fast, you're doing something right. Like, who is it? Um, is it Blenheim forge that I keep sending you videos from? Uh, yeah. They're making like kitchen knives over in, in Europe. Right. But when you look at the way they set up their jobs, dude, like either they're all super smart or there's like a process engineer, but the way that they fixture and like batch and queue, like, and just little, little like time saving and like shaping and clamping components and stuff. Like you look and you're like, that's like as, as efficient as you could do it for yeah. like beating this out of a piece of steel. Yeah, that I, Super I love it. Cool. They had that one thing where they were grinding a like a cleaver, mm-hmm. and it was pre-forged, so it was like a rough cleaver that they were yep. bevel grinding, and they had it a stick. attached to a like a one by two board that went all the way to the floor, and so the pivoting sweep of grinding the fixture yeah. is from the floor, not from a workrest. I've yep. never thought of that or heard of that. And he doesn't anything. have to. He doesn't have to hold it up. He doesn't, and it's a big knife with a, with, you know, a good amount of material. So he's just able to basically like lay this bar up against the grinder and then pivot across. Dude, it's crazy. Super smart. I think they like, I saw like a picture too. I forget the guy's name, but they're like, Steve's got his board back. (laughs) Like we got some of these cleavers to grind. And you're like, it just, there's for almost every job we do, that we repeat, man, there is a way to just create some repeatability around it. But we've talked about Bob T before, um, Terzuola, and that's, if he had to do a job like more than once, I feel like that was the criteria. Like he would just fixture for it. And so you go to a shop and he's got all these cool little fixtures like wrapped around the walls. Um, but you have to enjoy it and you have to like see like where the efficiency can yeah. be. Yeah. Lock fitting is like a prime example of that where there's so many different ways to do it. I finally ended up on, on flat milling them hard, which is awesome. And it's like alleviated so many problems. That's awesome. Yeah. I have not lock fit a knife yet. Cause I haven't built a folder. Dude. Can't wait. One of these days. One of these days. I do think it's probably the next shop. That's, that's, yeah, I think I've I think said that's that before. Reasonable. I don't I see just, a re- like, I don't see a reason you have such a good like product line and you're developing it, throwing a folder in there would really mess with your <laughs> production. Yeah. It's just so different than what I'm doing and I'm fine with that and I'm excited for that, but I would need the space to like, yeah set up like lock fitting I, I would have nowhere to do that without like yeah. something i have to assemble and disassemble every time or something yeah so yeah it's good but i'm excited because my confidants are going to start shipping tomorrow for the first time 
Dude, that's wild. That's a, that was a fast turnaround. It was fast. Not from when I took the pre-orders necessarily, but as far as when they got back to me finally yeah. from this from the loop through the supply chain, like I feel really good about it. And having Steven over helping me in the shop was a big part of that. But I was really excited with how the Kydex went. I was really excited with how finishing has been going. A um, couple little tricks, a couple little things that are that I've kind of got into that I had to solve, but that's kind of what you expect with every new model. And uh, But yeah, it's time to rock and roll, man. Like I've got enough knives to keep me busy for a few days sharpening and shipping mm-hmm. and the last thing i was doing today was machining the last of the handle sets wow so all the sheaths are done for all orders all the handles will be done for all orders tomorrow all the tangs will be done for all orders except for sharpening because what i'm gonna st- it's it's hard to store sharpened knives safely yeah, yeah. and so i usually sharpen like 10 and then yep. assemble and ship them and then sharpen 10 more and then assemble and ship them and then 10 more so that's what I'll start doing by midday tomorrow. Any, any, like, since this is new model, primarily same process, did you run into any like glitches or anything you didn't see coming down the line during production? Um, there was, as far as the bevel grinding goes, I was, I was wondering if I had these ground on a seatman and tactile turn and they did a, mm-hmm. a really nice job. And I was wondering how much I would have to stone, if at all, to not have any grind lines in the finish. And the answer is like a fair bit. Um, because, really? if, yeah, because if you look at like, uh, you know, most production knives, like they'll, they'll have some lines in them from these types of machines, Burger, Seatman, like there's mm-hmm. some lines there. Um, and I've kind of established like a, an expectation with my stuff that it won't have that. And so I was curious about that. So I, I kind of suspected that, that it would be just like, this and so it's there's no issue um but yeah the stoning is quite a bit of work yeah yeah at scale yeah it's a lot of knives yeah so so i've been doing quite a bit of that i i had to i had to like race like last week i had to stone as many as possible because steven does all my blasting on him mm-hmm. and i really wanted to get him blasting because if he was gone then i would be blasting him which is right. fine but it was like he's been doing such a good job with that. I like stoned as many as possible, got them all blasted. Then he left. Then I tumbled them, which by the way, another little tangent, those tumble cages that I set up mm-hmm. may have been a diverge divergent thing that may not have been necessary. I'm now learning. Cause I think really? the problem I was trying to solve was actually the wrong problem. So I was thinking I was getting errant scratches. I was thinking that the knives were scratching each other. It was not the knives. It was the media because yeah. the media was too new. Yeah. And I knew that was I knew that was possible. Yeah. But it as the media broke in, the scratches went away and I went ahead and ran a, a pile of confidence in there just to see like what would happen just experimentally and it it worked. And so it was the new new media that was causing me those issues, not the tips yeah. of other knives. I still think the cages over time might serve. I I guess I don't have enough experience with the Mr. Debers. So in, in like my, uh, Raytac tumblers parts will stick together like capillary mm. action. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. And so like how many knives do you have to have stick together and so finish I, weird? It's a, it's a good question. I put 20 in there with a zip tie in all of them and ran for zip two. tie will do it. Yeah. yeah. Zip tie will probably, that, you just need something in there yeah. to stop it. And that's what I always did before the cages. But Again, I was worried about these this tip scratching. The scratches, right. but yeah, twenty of them in the tumbler in the Mister Deber at once, all with zip ties, looks to be good. And so I might put a few more. I might kind of start to play with that. But twenty is good. And yeah. my last tumbler, I was doing like three knives at a time. Yeah. So I just the payoff. I was telling my wife, I was like, that tumbler is was the right move. One hundred and fifty percent. I did so. that big, like eight inch bladed. Uh, fixed blade a while back and I put it in my tumbler and I was like, that was ridiculous. Like I'm going to, I'll get a Mr. Deber just for when I do like occasional big stuff. It just makes so much sense. It's good. It's a good machine. And I haven't had issues with it sticking to the sides. I I haven't, I've tumbled a lot of knives. It hasn't, hasn't been an issue. Nice. So, um, yeah, with a zip tie, I got like big zip ties. I think part of it is like a lot of people get like cable ties, which can be like really dainty. I got like, big fat ones and it depends on yep. how big the hole is that you can put yep. it in but i've got quarter inch holes 
and I've got zip ties that are almost a quarter inch wide. And so that's the, what I use like for side pops. I use those are probably three eighths wide and they're removable. Mm-hmm. Quick they're release. Awesome. That, yeah, I so think we got release. the same ones. Yeah. I think I saw yours and actually yeah, yeah. looked they're them great. Yeah. And I've like been, I've had some of them going for years now. Yeah. And I think that rigidity, like a stiff zip tie is actually prevents it from sticking to the side. Yep. Um, so it works, works good, man. Um, the tumbler's really working out. Nice. Any other, uh, I feel like this is turning into another random sode, but is there, is there any other equipment that's like on your radar right now? Um, probably in this shop, the only thing left, I did just get a, uh, what's it called? A ultrasonic cleaner, which is like $200 Amazon, whatever. Not a big deal. I've, I've got the hardness tester. The only thing left, I think before the next shop is probably, I will go with a screw compressor while I'm here. And that's about it right now. Uh, cause everything is working. I think I was telling you today, like everything is working so good right now in my process. The only thing is the compressor is so loud. It's so annoying. Yeah. Um, so tired of it. I spent so much time with like a, just like a home Depot, like uh, stand up. Just, it's such a gnarly just sound killer, dude. Just yeah. brutal. And, and it in your teeth. And I, I wear, you know, ear protection. It doesn't, maybe doesn't bother me that much, but it's like my wife will try to say something to me. Or like the, the, the kids can't come out in the shop. Like it's just this pounding like all day out there. And I just, I, I do use a lot of air. So I don't ever maximize, like I'm not using a ton of CFM, but I, if you have two CNC machines going a little bit of blasting and like using my air nozzles a lot, it's like, yeah, it's running every, every five minutes going. Yeah. So it's, going. it's annoying. Yeah. Nice. I think I'm going to do, I'm going to do an induction forge. <laughs> mm, it's like, nice. it's such a low buy-in and they're, have you seen them? Mm-hmm. The coils? They're so freaking cool. Yeah, they are. I have some like small forge projects so, that, like I want to try. What's the downside? Be because it seems to me that would like totally surmount any reason to have an actual forge. Is there a downside? It's from what I, what I know, and like, I'm sure someone will tell me I'm wrong, but uh, it's mostly like localized, like zone uh, heating, but, but they do things like build taco coils. So like imagine the shape of a taco, but like, coiled copper tubing Mm -hmm. so that if you want to put something inside you can actually just like go in the front it's like a c instead of and then you have like this you know like a taco shape around so like you can heat up pretty broad sections um i just think it's cool it does look cool (laughs) it's really cool (laughs) and and again like with with where technology is like you can go on buy like what is it like us solid or something like that it's like a thousand bucks that's not bad what kind of power does that thing draw? Like, what are you? Um, it's like running like a like a TIG welder, like two twenty. You run two, a TIG two twenty thirty amp, probably. Yeah, thirty yeah. amp. That's not bad. Um, so, and I want to like my shop is small. I would like to keep forging through the summer, and I just realized like I kick my forge on. It warms the entire second floor of the shop up now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're at ninety five degrees, it's gonna be rough. I can use I can use the. Uh, the induction and a lot of the stuff that I want to make is small anyway. So I look at it, I'm like, well, this just seems like it seems like the right tool. Yeah. Um, and I'm obsessed right now with like the act of forging, but in modern ways. Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah, really yeah. like the crossover. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, yeah, that's cool. the only thing on only thing on my plan right now. Cool. But that's it's like because I'm using my 3D printer. Yeah. That's like just that was where where some of the fusion stuff started recently was like um i think you told me you had like a miscellaneous shop tools category so i just went in and i created a folder and then i was like oh i need like i need this i need like a, this little ferrule for a screwdriver and like oh i need the this mount for my fordham and man it's really it's where the the 3d printer really excels so there's a 3d printer that john saunders just posted about that has piqued my interest because we both have Prusa's. Yep. Prusa's awesome. Great company. Really, yep. really like my printer. Super reliable. Printing has come a long way in the like seven years since I bought mine. Yeah. This bamboo printer that he posted, I, I looked up the specs. It's like apparently 80% faster than like a Prusa. Like we're talking. That's a big margin. Yeah. We're talking way like i watched it run i mean it's like it's like the brother speedio of like seeing yeah, yeah you yeah. know of 3d printing 
Um, and for me, speed is more important than accuracy. Totally. Because most of the stuff that I'm doing is like a tumbler cage, right? It's like, right. I don't care. I'm not, it's not a figurine that I'm going to paint for like Warhammer 40K right. or something, you know? It's like, no, this is just, this is just a tool. Um, and so speed, I could see getting that. It's only like 1200 bucks and it's actually fully assembled, full enclosure. Um, it's got like ton of features, like it, man, 3d printing is just accelerating. Still filament. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Prusa just released a new one. They're the big one. Yeah. They released the, the like four. Yeah. So I need to look into that. I've been so out of touch with it because I've liked mine for so long. Reliability wise, it's been so good. Yeah. But pretty fun. Um, what else, man? Should we should we wrap it? Um, yeah, I think so. Touch on. Um Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, All right. <laughs> I, oh, uh I did have Jesse Jaros. Yeah. Uh he reached out and said that he's doing a downshift these days. Nice. Um, and there was another person that reached out. I think I got another message. So, uh, via our last email, people have been doing it and working on it. So I love uh, that. We want to, we want to hear from you guys, try it out. And if it's not a whole day, that's, that's fine. But like, you know, give it a shot. You know, I hope, hope yeah, we've given uh, yourself some time. It's shown you some examples of what you could possibly do, but also just like the overall philosophy behind it is all I really want to portray. And then people can take with it and do what they want. It's a good plan. And uh, yeah, if there's anything uh, you guys want to know about or want us to like dig into, shoot us a message. Always looking for talking points. I still want to do, I still want to do like a listener, like Q and a, like just have them send in questions and we just spend an episode answering. Oh yeah. That seems pretty easy. It does. You want to try to put that together somehow? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, guys, thank you for listening. Um, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review somewhere, sharing the pod goes a long way. Yeah. And we'll talk to you soon. Have a good one, everybody. Peace.